when the church moves and feels comfortable at calling people into more leadership. Please turn in your copies of the Scriptures to the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Now, uh, holidays are notably more difficult sometimes to preach. People think they know what to expect on a Sunday around Christmas or Easter, and, and we should. It's part of our journey. It's a part of who we are. I'd like today, though, to talk about genetics, and particularly Levi's genes. Uh, that's just a catchy way to say it, you know, not J-E-A-N-S, but G-E-N-E-S, okay? I'd like to talk, uh, uh, did you ever stop and think that why is it really important that Matthew opens up the scriptures, the New Testament, the New Covenant, by using a genealogy? Are you aware that there are about 25 genealogies in the Bible, like major genealogies? Only two of them are in the New Testament, the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke. And then the scriptures move into a different family. We actually have a quasi-genealogy in Hebrews 11. It's written in a similar manner that Hebrews would have written genealogies. By faith, David. By, uh, by faith, Moses. By faith, Noah. By faith, it's these kind of connections. So, but, but I happen to think that, uh, we, this doesn't mean we shouldn't do genealogies, but it means that God expanded the family here, and it becomes too innumerable to mention. Be, and, and so there is no more talk in the New Testament about God's family and these genealogies. But it is, they are an important part of the New Testament. So we're going to read one of them. Now help me with the names. I, I think I'm getting most of them right. But uh, that is part of the challenge. That's sometimes why we don't preach from something, because we're afraid we'll mispronounce the names. Please follow with me in Matthew 1. <clears throat> An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconi and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconi fathered Shiltel. Shiltel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered uh, Ebiud. Ebiud fathered Elakim. Elakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akim. Akim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Matan. Matan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from exile to Babylon until Christ, 14 generations. Now, um, for data-driven moderns like us, um, it is important for us to focus or to remember that ancient genealogies um, are not a detailed historical record. They're not this kind of exact data that we often think about. They're actually they're created to establish ancestry, connection. And so when you think about how the, the, the book opens in an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it takes us back to Abraham. Now there is one other genealogy, and I'm not going to turn to it right away, but it is, we'll look at it towards the end. It's in Luke uh, 3, and that actually goes all the way back to Adam. Now, for, for those of us who, let me, let me just ask you this. How many of you know, have done some genealogical work and know kind of what family you're from? Anybody here? Yeah, some of you. Kind of. You should do it someday. There's these interesting pieces in your genealogies. Um, there, for instance, in my particular genealogy, uh, there, on my maternal side, there is a Mary Moeller. She, um, she is my great-great-grandmother, is a woman named Mary Moeller. And we do not know anything about Mary Moeller, M-O-H-L-E-R. Except that when she was 13 years old, she was living with John Hirschberger's near Berlin, Ohio. This 1870 census, I think. And we, we, they, they think that she was most likely abandoned by her parents and then raised by an Amish family. She was the maud. It says, hired domestic servant. At 13 years old, she's working. She married Michael Gingrich, who is my great-great-great-grandfather. And did you ever stop and think about what what was that was really like? Wonder what she was really like. I wonder how she looked. And um, and it's easy for us as we look at our genealogies. You know, I'm on my maternal paternal side. I'm Benjamin, Johns, Monroe's, Milo's, Leroy's, Marcus. And it's kind of interesting for me to think, well, those were all kind of good guys. But were they really all kind of good guys? I have a few accounts from some family history where it's a little less than savory. You know, uh, for instance, one of my descendants, one of my ancestors, not my descendants, I get them confused yet, uh, one of my ancestors was a really angry person. And I know from first-hand account that he, you know, the milkman would come, he'd be happy and jolly. The minute the milkman would go out to drive, he'd quit, and he was sullen and angry. And there, there's occasions when he didn't talk to his family for three days. He had a large family. Like, what do you do with those pieces of your ancestry? The unsavory pieces. Um, and and the, I, I work with a lot of genealogical information every day at work. I mean, we do this. This is part of what we do. And one of the things that we have to understand is that when we look at a genealogy like this, um, that... that well, I, let me just say this. I just recently read a book called uh, Ancestor Trouble. And it is not by a Christian. Well, she's, she has a Christian worldview. Her name is Maud Newton. She writes for The New Yorker. And she says that 
so, so here is her own story. She realized her mother and father divorced when she was 12 or 13, and she realized after, after she was an adult that the reason her father, and her father was open about this, her father was a, a white supremacist living in the South in Mississippi during the time, felt like the white race was being desecrated, and he looked for someone to marry so they could create perfect white children. So he didn't marry his mother out of love. He married her because he felt like their genetics would be, make great white children. Well, she ended up being red-haired and freckled, and uh, not necessarily the epitome of you know, this kind of pure white Aryan nation that he wanted. And, and when, she became, when she aged a little bit in her 30s and 40s, as she began to think about her family history, she began to think about that piece. And so she did a lot of genealogical work, and she, and she made a good claim. She said, one of the ways that we overcome generations of brokenness and sin. Now, again, she didn't use the term sin. She used uh, uh, generations of brokenness is that recognizing that that actually was there. That in Monroe's, Milo's, Leroy's, Marcus, there is a lot of messiness, a lot of brokenness. And the writer of Matthew is very careful to record some of the messiness of their world. For instance, did you know that David was not a full-blood Jew? King David. King David was not a full-blood Jew. He was only 67.5% Jewish. Um, did you notice the four women who are mentioned? Uh, Tamar. Well, um, uh, uh, Judah father Perez and Zerah by Tamar. I just recently read that story. And by the way, Jesus is from the line. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. I like when you read the stories in Genesis. Why should he not come from Joseph, who is this kind of perfect model? But he doesn't. He comes from Judah. And he comes from Judah's incestuous relationship with Tamar. And then when the t- as she has twins by that relationship, and, and when, she, when the twins are born, Perez is the one who sticks his hand out first, and they tie a scarlet thread, and retracts his hand, and his brother pushes him back and, come, and comes out the birth canal first. Uh, like all this messiness. And to a Jewish reader, they would have remembered these stories, the stories of the messiness and brokenness in their history, and said, oh yeah, okay, so... And then Sal- Salmon fathered uh, Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was as you well know, a prostitute. Um, and, and then uh, Boaz fathered Obit by Ruth. That's why, uh, so that's how David becomes 67.5% uh, Jewish because his grandmother and great-grandmother, I believe, yeah, grandmother and great-grandmother were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And it's really fascinating that Matthew includes that in the passage, and, he's, and it, that's an inclusion that... that, that is not off, often they would just use the men, but he uses the women to point out the fact that even in the providence of God in those times, that the, the family that Jesus is connected to, this family of faith and the, the physical family that Jesus is connected to, has a sense of, of messiness to it. And then, of course, you have David, Father Solomon, by Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife. Doesn't say Bathsheba, says Uriah's wife. As he wants to point out the fact that even this vaunted King David, the man who is the answer to Jewish history in a lot of ways, commits this sin with another man's wife. And so I, I appreciate that. And and so as as we as we think about why did the writer of why why is this why does this introduce Christmas? And I, I 
I think that these passages are important because of two reasons. Number one, it connects Jesus to the world in which he moved. Jesus is this person who comes out of this family. Now we're going to look at how God addresses that. But even more importantly, it places Jesus at the pinnacle of God's story of his people. Think about this. From now on out, you're not going to get any more of these genealogies like this. Because Jesus has fulfilled all the genealogies. He is now the ultimate Jew. But he's not really a Jew. He's not 100% pure. And by the way, the writer of uh, Matthew actually skips generations. And, and he, picks the wrong, uh, he picks one of the wrong men. Do you know that Jesus did not come through Solomon? He came through another one of David's sons. But he is the oldest of the oldest of the oldest, which makes him king. So, so uh, Solomon father Rehoboam, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is that David's son? Let me, I, I need to check on that. Yes, it's David's son. Um, so David, uh, Jesus has not come through Solomon. But because Solomon was king, this is establishing Jesus as the king of the Jews. This is not necessarily this kind of data-driven thing like, this is my dad's 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 dad. This is the data-driven, this, the important piece of this is saying the king is the oldest son of the oldest son. And so Solomon is the king. And Jesus is in the line of Solomon because he becomes the king. And, and see, we modern data-driven people don't like that. We don't like that. Why couldn't he actually put it in what it, the way it was? Now Luke does. Um, but, but the point is not that he's got, and actually he skips several generations. It's not 14. But there is a reason for that because of the numerology that they used. He wants that to be that. It, it doesn't really matter. What, it's, what he's saying is Jesus is the king. And notice what he says at the very tail end of this. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now notice it doesn't say that Jesus is Joseph's son. It says Jesus, uh, that Joseph is Mary's husband. And what this does is it places Jesus into the right family to be the ultimate king of the Jews. So, Matthew, the question of biological descent, you know, genetics, is secondary. His purpose in beginning the book with a genealogy is not to track the transmission of genes, or to say, this is the purest Jew there is. But it's to tell the grand intergenerational story which Jesus was born, the story of God's covenant with his people, Abraham, David, and Jesus. In, in Abraham, he establishes his people. In David, he strengthens and shows his faithfulness. In Jesus, he culminates that. And I, what I'd like to, I think that these, that this, this genealogy this section that we read shows the true heart of God in sending Jesus to earth. And it shows God's mercy. And shows God's mercy in, in how God moved and worked in these broken people's lives. You have Tamar and Judah. By the way, Judah is a really beautiful picture of Christ. I like Judah. In the story of Joseph, I like Judah because he is the only one of Jacob's sons who comes back. When they come back the second time to, to visit Joseph, and Joseph says, I'm keeping Benjamin here. And, and Judah says, you know what? I can't let that happen. 
Let me put my life in the place of my brother Benjamin. Now, that, that's Judah's second experience where they had the opportunity to do something with his brother. His first one was Joseph. And he sold his brother into slavery, into Egypt. This time he says, I have repented. I choose to put myself in the place of my brother. It's a type of Christ, actually. The Jews would see it that way. So we see God's mercy. And, and the fact that it includes women. And, and he could have included, he could have included uh, uh, Sarah and Rebecca, kind of these grand doms of Jewish history. He didn't. He, he, he said, I'll take the broken ones because it's the broken ones who realize their brokenness that I can extend mercy to and give to. And by the way, no one gets to pick their family like you pick a Christmas tree. If you go down to Sweetwater Farms and pick a Christmas tree, you're going to look for one that you like, symmetrical. Maybe you like the odd ones, you know, the one that has a branch on one side, fits your house better or something. But, but no one gets to pick their, their family because of that. We're the result of brokenness and sin, yet God in his mercy works to deliver us from the power of that. See, we're not bound by the power of being Monroe's, Milo's, Leroy's, Marcus. I'm not bound by that. That's not who I ultimately am. And then I think in these genealogies, you see Jesus saying, yeah, here's the genealogy. Here's the story of how God has worked in history. He's worked through these Jewish people. And in his mercy, he is now sending the ultimate king to deliver us. And, and so we see God's mercy. We also see God's judgment. Okay? So the family of God didn't behave very well. They're sent into Babylon. They're sent into exile. Seventy years. And there's a reason for them being there seventy years. They're there because they've sinned. So you see God's faithfulness. You see God's judgment. Uh, Sorry, you see God's mercy. You see God's judgment. But you also see God's faithfulness. And I think these genealogies point us back to the idea that God works through the brokenness of human family. The human family. Now, I do want you to turn to the next, the the other genealogy. It's found in Luke chapter 3. Again, this is the portion of the Bible we don't read. We don't read these portions. In fact, when you have personal devotions, do you skip over this portion? Uh, just be honest. Yes, I do too. Uh, but it is. And this, is a, this happens, this, there's a reason that Luke places it where he does. And he places it, so you have the birth of Jesus, Luke 2, and then you have the, um, the, uh, the wise man coming, you have uh, uh, Anna and Simeon and all that, and then Jesus grows up. And then... He's baptized. And when Jesus is baptized, Luke puts in this genealogy. It's like, why put it here? Well, there's a reason. Let's begin in verse 21 of Luke chapter 3. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you, I am well pleased. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is baptized. People are watching. And suddenly they see a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus. And they hear a voice from heaven. And they, the voice says, you are my beloved son. You're my son. You know what the writer of uh, Luke does then? He says, let's 
just read right with me here. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. As he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph. Was thought to be the son of Joseph. Huh. What's the writer of Luke doing? He's casting light. He's casting shadow onto Jesus' parentage. He's saying he was thought to be the son of Joseph. Now, if I look at my genealogical, and some of us have this in their genealogies, I am thought to be the son of. That raises questions about my parentage. It raises questions about who I am. And the writer, Luke, is saying he is thought to be the son of Joseph. And then he goes, all, and I'm not going to read this one, but we'll actually want to be, actually, I'm going to, because we, we have never read it out loud in public. I'm going to only read the last part, though. I want to read uh, from verse about 30 on. The son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Jonam, son of Elkim, son of Melai, son of Meno, son of Matthias, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon, son of Aminadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serog, son of Reho, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Araph, Axid, oh boy, Arphas, whatever, that guy, <laughs> son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahaliel, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. And suddenly, he is thought to be the son of Joseph, but he is the son of God. Now, it doesn't end there. In Luke 4, then, Jesus goes on and he speaks for the very first time. And he talks, it is this powerful moment where he heals people. And he's in the synagogue and they bring the scriptures to him. And he, wrote, he found a place in the scroll and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the guy. And it was quiet in the synagogue. And somebody said, ain't that Joe's boy? Isn't that Joseph's son? Is he not the son of Joseph the carpenter? And Jesus goes on from right there on out. He proves that he is not the son of Joseph. He is the son of God. And when I was thinking about that, these genealogies, and I, I like them. But, you know, this, this particular one, in, in, in both, both of these, they go back. They're very careful to reflect the fact that Jesus is not ultimately the son of Joseph. He's not a Jew born through his father's line. He is something outside of that. He is born of God, of the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit in a virgin. So he is fully human and fully God, but his father is his father in heaven who looks down and said, that is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that opens up the story. And that's why you can no longer have any genealogical information about who the family of God is. So far, God's favor has been upon the nation Israel. Now, other people can come in. Uh, Rahab, Ruth, 
All these people, they do actually come into the family of God. It's not this narrow, restricted thing. It's big, it's open, but it opens up even more now and allows us Gentiles to become part of the family of God. Jesus coming to earth gives us the freedom to become part of something much bigger than what we ever anticipated. And in that same small way, all of us carry a genetic code that makes you you. You look like your family. You look like your parents. And, and, but your, your genetic code and your family history is not your ultimate destiny, just like it wasn't for Jesus. Because Jesus can deliver us from the brokenness of that. doesn't mean we don't own who we are. We actually have to own who we are. And when we own who we are and say we need help because in our family, in the Benjachan, Monroes, Milos, Leroy's, and in the Gingrich that come up or the Mass that come this way or the Millers that come this way, there is not enough redemption to deliver me from the brokenness of my family, my community, and my world. I need somebody outside of family, somebody outside of the human family to deliver me from that. And that is the story of Christmas. Jesus came to deliver us from the brokenness that we each, each of us bring through our genetic code, through our family histories, through our community and our world. He came to deliver us. And free us from those things. He came as a little baby. He spent 30 years growing. And, and, and people marveled. And, but then he announces himself. And the writer says. Now this guy is supposed to be Joseph's son. But he's not really. And when he announces himself for the first time. People say. Ain't that Joe's boy? No it's not. It's the son of God. And so the rest of the story. This is the pinnacle of the story. And now genealogies read like in faith they moved mountains in faith they died like Hebrews 11 and seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses we don't give up because inviting Jesus into our story into our family and in engaging with his family see I think I think this is I, I want to read this to you Matthew's genealogy then both affirms the significance of family history and powerfully relativizes it. Biological kinship is less important than the family being called than the family called into being by God's promise. In, Crete, in Christian teaching, this redefined family are not Jews anymore. It's a redefined family. They're known by another name. The brothers and sisters who make up the, the family of God. In this great intergenerational family, we're linked by bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood to believers from every era of the human story, past, present, and future. To be sure, our, our biological family and our inheritance that we get from them still matter, but heredit, heredity and blood kinship are no longer the primary source of our identity. Jesus is. The baby Jesus born in the cloud of suspicion becomes a savior who saves us from our brokenness. Stand together.